a club known as the Bumbling Fools. Watching the game and the best things in life is the motto and the role. So if you can open up your heart and hear me out just for Hello tonight. and welcome to Q&A Quest episode 256. I'm your host, Mike Apps, now owned by the Embracer Group. And with me as always... Internalizing derealization. So... <laughs> funny timing just hit the element in the room yes. elephant in the room funny timing for last episode yeah so it turns out the embracer group just bought another thing yeah right after we had that giant discussion about hey the embracer group is gigantic and no one seems to notice and they're buying a lot of things and they've been doing so for yes. the past like four years and now everyone notices yep square sold off the majority of its U.S. development branches, they still, of course, have, like, U.S. offices for uh, publishing and, uh, oh, what you call it? They, they still have offices for publishing, localization, that sort of thing. But the majority of, like, in what was officially in-house Square Enix development is going away. Uh, this is basically all shit that they got when they bought IDOS. Yeah. But... And which is also why it was probably relatively easy to sell it off. It was basically a separate business unit entirely. But yeah, uh, I think somewhere between 300 and 500 million. Decent chunk of change. They have committed to investing it in like a billion different things and everyone's dunking on it because they said something about NFTs, but that's probably not where most of that's going. Uh, Yeah, I'm not really buying any of that. Like I, I don't, yeah. I don't think they're that stupid that they're going to invest in something that's clearly declining. Yeah, like if this had happened maybe six months ago, they might have put in a strong initial investment on it. It's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, I can see why they wanted to divest themselves of this asset in general. Uh, just a, because it's always kind of a weird partnership. It was it was a weird marriage from the off. Yeah. Uh, they sort of ate IDOS in the late aughts after IDOS had, like, taken the last... had spent, like, six or so years tripping over its own dick. Uh, let me get an exact date as to when they bought IDOS. Let's see. Yeah, oh nine. so yeah. Uh, and they became Square Enix Europe. And they had, honestly, a remarkable amount of autonomy autonomy to make some good decisions and a whole lot of bad ones. Uh, Honestly, uh, they probably should have been... uh, They probably should have had their management structure completely decimated after how much they had destroyed themselves over the course of years, but yeah. uh, It was a weird weird purchase to begin with. Uh, The best thing they basically got out of that was a bunch of legacy IP that they weren't terribly interested in and crystal dynamics as a development partner. Yeah. And honestly, they're not terribly interested in what crystal dynamics is doing either, especially after how Avengers went. Yeah. They definitely thought that that was going to be a game that was paying dividends well into like the 2020s. And it went over like a wet fart. Um, I have no idea what becomes of that game in particular. 
just because it was supposed to be a, a continuous service game. Right. But the deal negotiated was with Square, not with the Embracer Group. God only knows what's going to happen with those contracts. Uh, yes. It would not surprise me if it's not actually fully clear internally what's going to happen to them. But given how much that game undersold expectations and more importantly failed to develop a continuously paying player base, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest, but like the idea of divesting themselves from it seems extremely appealing at the moment. I mean, it never really quite worked out yeah. how they seemed to want it to. Yeah, like they wanted a live service game that was going to, you know, have a active yeah. player base that kept buying cosmetics and new characters and shit. Yeah. No, I'm, just I just mean really like the acquisition in general. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, there there were games that were popular within it, like those Deus Ex yeah. uh, reboots were fairly well received, but like Tomb Raider, I think they thought had more growth potential than it did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They consistently kept expecting that to do like to be fair, completely unrealistic numbers. Like, sure. Uh, Tomb Raider 2013 was like it's worth noting. Anytime you look at late aughts square uh, projections, that you need to remember that their then CEO was like just the king of vastly overpromising to shareholders what kind of numbers they expected a game to do, and so like Tomb Raider 2013 is like the prime example because that was a game that sold better than any prior Tomb Raider game ever had at launch and still undershot expectations because they expected it to do at least twice as well as the next best-selling game in the franchise at launch. It was just a never-going-to-happen situation. Yeah. Also, like, the new movie didn't do that great either. That didn't help. Oh, yeah. I don't, well, I don't think anyone cared about that movie by the time it came out. I did. It was okay. I mean, it's probably not any worse than the first two. It was way better, but yeah, like I said. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like in general, it was just one of those like it, it, Tomb Raider is not the game that it was in 1998, and I don't think they ever fully understood that. Yeah, like you can't just re-release that again and hope that it suddenly somehow develops the same kind of cultural force, but. Yeah, I think that they thought that uh, that the pull of the Marvel licenses would do more than it did. Yeah. But and and there's also just the hangover of people trying desperately to make live services work that don't have any meaningful uh, like like live service games. There's only like a handful of opportunities to replace one of the five that people actually play. Yeah. And Avengers wasn't selling to anyone who wasn't already playing a live service game. And it wasn't doing anything better enough to convince anyone to play it over a game they were already playing. Yeah. It's the same problem as anytime someone tries to make a new like trading card game. Why should I play this over Magic or Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh or one of the handful of others that has any actual following? The answer and, is you shouldn't. Yeah, like the answer is always 
they're like even if they're good, they're not good enough to replace what you're already playing. Right. And so anyone trying to make a new live service game has to be directly answering the question of why should I play this over the other ones that already exist. And Avengers never really had an answer for that other than you like Marvel, don't you? <laughs> uh, and then, of course, like the, the taint of people assuming that Guardians of the Galaxy would also be a live service game definitely didn't do that game any favors. Yeah, I mean, when they announced uh, it, I assumed it was an Avengers expansion. Same. And I mean, also just, like, the the trailer that they showed at E3 was a bad. It, like, that was a game that you needed to supercut a trailer for. It was not that yeah. interesting to sit there and watch someone slowly play. <laughs> so, Which just, sucks, because yeah. that game kicks ass. Yeah, it's very good, but, you know, it, it got off on the wrong foot, never really yeah. recovered, underperformed. And suddenly, that, that whole partnership doesn't make as much sense as it maybe did five years ago. So. No. And so, off into the hands of the Embracer group, who are already promising a new Deus Ex game, a new Thief game, uh, maybe something like a Sea of Cain related. And remasters and ports, I guarantee you, are going to happen. Because it's happened with every yeah. single property they've purchased. Yeah, no, and like, they, they I, will make sure that all of those are available on everything with a screen. Yeah, and honestly, I am here for it. Give me all the Tomb Raider, give me the Deus Ex. Heck, give me Thief on Switch. It I wouldn't will, even surprise me if they I will that. play the mediocre Switch game, or the mediocre, mediocre Thief game on Switch. Give it, give me... Thorf? Thorf. When they first showed it, it had, like, a... Or in place of the E or something. It's just like, guys, that doesn't, doesn't scan. It doesn't work. But, yeah. I mean, like, I, I would love to see, uh, like, Tomb Raider 2013 on Switch. There's no reason that oh, game yeah. shouldn't be on it. Yeah, no. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, like, this is one of those things where it's like, it's media conglomeration sucks. Uh, this isn't a great deal more conglomerated, so to speak, than it was before, but it is still concerning, because it's just like, the amount of things the Embracer Group actually owns is terrifying. Mm -hmm. uh, like, even in, like, because it's, it's also not just video games, it's a fairly diversified interest. They own Dark Horse Comics, for example. They own, I forget what the company is, a friend of mine was talking about how it's like a Goliath in the board game industry. It's just like, what the... What are you guys doing? But yeah, like, it's a legit, it's a gigantic organization. I have no idea, as has been mentioned, it's super unclear to me where its money actually comes yeah. from. But someone, some, some like army of investment bankers keeps uh, throwing yeah. them cash, I assume. Oh, and I had to tell. Uh... Our friend Eric, that no, there is actually no evidence that they have mob ties. There's no evidence of mob connections, just to be clear. Yes. It's just a very easy joke to make when yes. someone's flashing that much cash and you have no idea where it's coming from. Yeah. More than likely, it's an army of investment bankers. Yeah. But just to be clear, so that we are not uh, accused of slander. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that's happening. Uh, honestly, it makes probably the most sense for all involved. Uh, yeah. But it is a weird thing to see happen. Uh, 
we can cease to make jokes about uh, Gex showing up in a Kingdom Hearts game now because <laughs> Square has given him up. Yeah. And maybe the Embracer group will bring him back. Oh god, did you see the Gex Jr. prototype at least? I did not, actually. Yeah, like a few weeks ago, maybe a month, they like someone leaked a prototype for something just labeled Gex Jr. And it was just like... It was a very, like, proof-of-concept sort of prototype. It's just, like, essentially a smaller Gex in a baseball cap uh, making more kid-friendly uh, references, and also it has a fart button. But it's extremely weird. It just, it seems like something someone would have made up. It was, ne it's not a game that was ever announced. Like, it's just something that showed up someday. Weird. Someone ripped it off a disc. But... Yeah, build date says that it was built sometime after Gex 3, but still on the PS1, so... Yeah, I believe it. But, uh, forever, forever in my heart it will be known as Jack Spoonier. <laughs> but yeah, so that was, that was a very, uh... an apropos sort of purchase to have announced. I think that deal is set to go through in late summer, so... Yeah. Like, I don't foresee any regulatory like it, if if anything else wasn't enough to stop someone from like embracer group as far as i know is, a, is in sweden i don't know what sorts of laws exist there that would stop this kind of buyout and i don't foresee there being any reason to assume it will be stopped yeah but yeah so uh a lot of, they expect those games to get uh a lot of those catalog games get released on a bunch of other things. Uh, I don't know. Embracer Group seems like the kind to take a risk on. We're going to bring back Fear Effect. <laughs> and I mean, Square kind of tried that, but Fear Effect said that was a weird thing that happened. Uh, I assume that they got Fear Effect. They got everything, basically everything else. Like, Square, Square retains a limited interest as a, like, Western publisher. They specifically said they're keeping things like Life is Strange and Outriders and shit. Like, they still own those IPs, but... Uh, that valuable Outriders IP. Yeah, I have no idea what happened there. I think they're still hoping that that's another game service that could take off. Jesus. I don't think they're right to think that, but... I think they're not ready to wash their hands of it yet. Probably in part because they actually own it, but... Yeah, well... I think that sort of game as like live service it's just not it's not enough space for a lot of those like you want another like battle royale -ish sort of live service game sure there's you probably get you have your pick of the litter those, dozens. but like rpgs uh that's that's tough tough to pull it off right to begin with yeah it's just one of those things, like, people only have so much space in their lives for games, and yeah. the kind of person who wants to make space in their lives for a game they're going to have to play for fucking ever is generally already playing a game like that. They're already playing, like, at least two or three games that take for fucking ever. Isn't that right, Wheels? Yes. He says, who playing delayed... Destiny on stream. He oh, says, while Apex. playing Destiny on stream, who delayed the... Start of the podcast in order to finish out a round of Apex Legends. 
But yeah. Like, the, the best thing that can happen to Square at this point is that they sort of give up on trying new games as a service titles, but I think that they're... Their brain is poisoned by the fact that they successfully, like, there was a successful turnaround on FF14. Yeah. So I think on some level they're convinced that, like, that can happen more than once, and I don't think it can. No. Like, it only worked for FF14 because people were already fans of FF11 and willing to give it yeah. another shot in a way that they wouldn't with basically anything else. That and Dragon Quest X in Japan. Yeah, extent. that sure didn't do what they were hoping. It didn't? I thought it was doing pretty well. It's doing fine, but it should be noted that it's like one of the worst selling Dragon Quests in general. Uh, like I said, it worked. It like it did produce a continuous revenue stream, but by Dragon Quest standards, it would be hard to describe it as anything but a disappointment. Mm. Uh, like if they expected it to sell like a single-player Dragon Quest game, it sure as hell didn't. Ouch. Uh, I'd have to look at what it's like today to does. Okay. Well, can't find useful numbers. Uh, let's see, Dragon Quest Ten. I know that like the the thing that was wild about Dragon Quest Ten is that it failed to sell a million in its first week or so, which was like it, that's not how Dragon Quest typically goes. Yeah. Uh, during its debut week, top Japanese sales charts selling 367,000 units. Wow. While this was seen as an impressive debut for an MMO in Japan, it was the worst sales debut of a mainline Dragon Quest game in recent years. Uh, let's see. By the end of August 2012, it had sold 557,000 units. Uh, let's see. The tenth best-selling title of 2012 with 609,783 units. So yeah, it seems like over time, uh, yeah. So essentially, uh, over time, it managed to cross like over a million copies sold. It has an active player base. I'm not sure if they ever changed. Dragon Quest X had a weird thing at least at launch where it would do it, it had in order to like sell it as an mmo that children could play it had like an hour it was a subscription mmo but it had like an hour or so per day and some extra time on the weekends where people who did not have a subscription could just play that's weird yeah i don't know if that was was kept uh i don't know if that ever went away but yeah like by dragon quest like Certainly Dragon Quest X is a success in the sense of they got what they wanted. It is a long-term uh, money uh, generator, even if it's not, like, the kind of long-term money generator I'm sure that they thought that they were making when they greenlit a Dragon Quest MMO. Yeah. Uh, they, they basically succeeded in showing that uh, people do not want Dragon Quest to be something other than movies. So... Yeah, uh, but yeah, they're, they're convinced that that kind of turnaround can happen with other service games, and I, I just don't see it happening. Welcome to Wheels' Windows 10 uh, information. Yeah, this is the only way I can get Destiny to show up. I don't know what the deal is. <laughs> but yeah, uh, 
But that's why you see them, like, making, like, gestures at trying to make Babylon's Fall work. That's not a game anyone cares enough about uh, inherently to give a second chance. Did they that, barely gave it a first chance. Out? Did that come out? Yeah, that came out like a month ago, dude. Uh, didn't even know or care. Yeah. Let me let me double check because like Babylon's Fall has some like truly tragic uh, player numbers. Let's see, just going off the Steam version. Uh, yeah, the lowest. <laughs> this is really bad. The Steam version. Uh, in mid-April, hit a a new low for concurrent players of eight. Yikes! Worldwide. Okay, that's not good. Yeah, that's uh, very not it good. Aver it averages about a hundred thirty uh, players a day, Yikes. and its all-time peak is a little over eleven hundred. Like, okay. Yeah, like that thing tanked hard. I don't, I don't think anyone's coming out of that without looking like they should probably be fired. Um, so yeah, live service games—they're uh, tricky. Uh, stop trying to bet the farm on them. I understand why you want them because you want the goose that lays the golden eggs, but that you can't just keep making geese and hoping one of them will lay golden. No. Let's see. Uh, but yeah, Embracer Group, uh, terrifying, gigantic, almost completely anonymous. Uh, yeah, seriously, this is the first time we've heard anyone like other than us talk a lot about one of their <laughs> anyone other than and they just bought rambling about it, and they just bought Gearbox, and like no one batted an eye. Yeah, they bought Gearbox. Like, looking at the list of recent acquisitions from them is like like baffling and surreal. Yeah, and it's weird because a lot of it just went under the radar because it's like, oh, we'll buy that, uh, Aspire, just just a little porting house. But then that porting house got tasked with making a remake of one of the most popular, most beloved RPGs of all time. Yeah. So I'm looking at, uh, like, just trying to find when they bought, like, there's a point where they bought essentially the entirety of the, like, Deep Silver, Coke Media, T uh, THQ Nordic group. Yeah. Uh, Gearbox was about a year ago, I think. Something like that. Oh, Saber Interactive. That place is that's a company that has like a bazillion offices everywhere, and they do a lot of impressive ports. Uh, okay. Um. But yeah. Uh. Games. Uh, Asmodee. Yeah, just just a lot of they they just own a ton of shit, and it's yep. unclear like what their long term plans are, other than just sort of buy things when they see them. But that doesn't seem like the sort of thing that gets uh, investment bankers to deal to fund you. So no idea. 
terrifying, legitimately. And yet I buy everything they release, so... <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they, they are not ones to let the things they purchase lay fallow. No. They, uh, they make sure that anything they acquire is going to be exploited to the full extent of the law. <sighs> oh, there's a, there's a thing that's not strictly RPG related, but that I thought was kind of funny. Uh, remember the Prince of Persia Sands of Time remake? Yeah. Oh, they finally broke silence on it. It's, it's now like at least a year late, I think. Uh, let me double check. Okay. I'm trying to remember, like, the timeline of when this was announced, and when they delayed it, and when they... <laughs> and now they've changed developers. It was being made by uh, Ubisoft uh, Tune? I don't know if, that's, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, and Ubisoft Mumbai. Uh, and it's now been pushed over to Ubisoft Montreal. Uh, for those who forget Got that this was happening because they just sort of stopped. They just stopped talking about it yeah. for a very long time. Because uh, when they first announced it, they were like, "This will be out in the next six months," and then it wasn't. Yeah, something must have gone really wrong. Uh, I think, like, I have personal theories about this. Uh, I'll get into it when I've fully established the timeline for when this remake was announced. It was announced at Ubisoft Forward uh, 2020, which was around when they were hitting, like, the worst of the, like, oh, this place is a hell place to work at. Like, the amount of, like, worker abuse and harassment is uh, unparalleled, so they put out Ubisoft Forward to not talk about that. <laughs> But let's see. Okay, yeah. So this was announced in September of 2020 with the uh, announced release date of 21st January 2021. Like, it was supposed to be done. Yikes. By the time they announced that, it was clearly at a point where it was like, oh, we're just, we're just about to wrap this. It's just about to wrap and it's going to be released. My personal guess is that what happened here is Ubisoft... Uh, took a couple of their, like, studios that they had out in uh, Pune and Mumbai, uh, and I'm, I'm checking uh, I'm checking the pronunciation on that because I'm not convinced that I'm pronouncing that uh, correctly. I want to I wanna be respectful here. And, and, yeah, Pune. Okay, excuse me. Uh, Ubisoft Pune and Ubisoft Mumbai, and uh, basically, if I were to hazard a guess, they said, uh, people like this old Prince of Persia game, do a quick port, like a quick pseudo-remake, like, uh, for the new consoles, but, you know, you're not being budgeted much, you're not being given, like, the kind of support that, like, a big remake would get. And so, when that game was announced, the immediate response was, this game looks like shit. <laughs> because it was not it was not a heavily... It was not a real... It was not the kind of remake or remaster I was expecting. It, it just sort of looks like... It, it looks cheap. 
And like I wouldn't put that on any of the developers. It yeah. seems like they just were not given much like money, time, or resources compared to if say Ubisoft Montreal was doing a remake. And so but the reaction to what they I think had assumed was like a slam dunk crowd pleaser of like okay people like this old game we're gonna tell them that they can buy it again like they, they, they'll be happy about that the reaction was venomous like for for anyone who actually cared the answer the reaction was this looks like you don't give a shit <laughs> and so quickly they backpedal and say oh it, due to reaction due to the fan response this remake is received we're uh we're pushing it back so that we can polish it so it'll be everything people want out of it. And that seems to have sent them into a mad scramble. Rescoping a game that late in development, I have no idea how much, if any, of the initial work that they showed off is even going to be in that final game. <laughs> probably not. Uh, yeah, probably very little, if any. Uh, but, like, it, even the most... Uh, experienced and well-supported of developers who were put in a position where a game was essentially in final testing to be ready to ship when it was announced and then gets told, you need to rescope this entirely and completely throw out basically everything you've done is going to be thrown for like five different loops. I, I don't think that there is any developer in the world who could have taken that in stride. No. And so, if, you know, like seemingly over the course of the past year and a half, they have been busily attempting to rescope it and uh, boost the production values and make it more of the kind of remake people expect when they hear Prince of Persia Sands of Time remake. And that finally came to a head. Well, God only knows when it actually did come to a head, but they finally admitted that came to a head because now the uh, game is under development at Ubisoft Montreal. Who I believe did the original? I don't think that's a Montpellier project. No, they did the original. Yeah. Uh, I was around the time that Montreal Ubisoft kind of took over as the uh, key developer at Ubisoft because at that time Ubisoft Montreal was doing... <laughs> Uh, Prince of Persia Sands of Time trilogy. They did the more popular Splinter Cells because, like, that was also a period where Splinter Cell was coming out every year. Yeah. But uh, they were trading uh, on and off with Ubisoft Shanghai. So Splinter Cell One is Montreal. Splinter Cell Two is Shanghai. Splinter Cell Three is Montreal. Splinter Cell Four is Shanghai. Then. Uh, Montreal's complete like complete rework idea for the series completely shits the bed and that series goes away for five years. Our Splinter Cell Conviction? What the fuck? Um, but yeah, like that was that was a fascinating it, it's it's tragic sort of what happened here. Because I'm sure that a lot of people in Pune and Mumbai did, you know, as best work they could have done with yeah. what they were given. But, you know, not really uh, not really getting the kind of support from the mothership that you would get on a mainline title. It's sort no. of like the... Yeah, you can always tell how much uh, Ubisoft cares about a title uh, by how much you've heard of the division of Ubisoft that made it. 
like because they they're very good at the, having their PR push their different development houses, and they want like Montreal to be associated with prestige. But like when you start getting into some of their uh, studios that are not uh, Montreal or Montpellier, you get into some uh, places they places studios that they care less about and do not push as like. These are like extremely talented developers. It's, it's sad. It sucks, but yeah, yeah, it is what it is. Although yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of weird that like one of their best studios made Immortals: Phoenix Rising, and they totally bungled. Oh yeah, promoting that game. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Little Mike says, "Ratha, my sister in chat." Yeah, no, I saw that. Wasn't gonna mention it until you did, but. <laughs> Also, Hollywood says rockabye and good night. God damn it! Yeah, you're you're not known for exactly being wired on these. <laughs> yeah, I was playing I was playing Magic via Skype beforehand, so I drank more extra coffee. Pretty wired. I'm gonna pretend that the very concept of that makes sense to me, but what playing Magic via Skype? Yes. It's a pain uh, in the ass, is what it is. Yeah, I'm surprised you weren't just playing Arena, but I guess you wanted to use your old cards. Well, it's three people, so... Uh, Arena, they don't Arena's only one. So you were one. using weird variant rules, and Arena yeah. wasn't support that. That too, but also, even if Arena did support the rules, it would we can't do three people at once. So. Yeah, well, I'm saying, like, that, I would consider how many people are playing it wants to be part of the rules. Uh, well, they have built-in rules for just regular um, multiplayer. But yeah, we were playing hmm. Commander. I'm surprised that's not in there. That seems like a very popular subtype. Whatever. In Arena? Uh, yeah. I think it's just a matter of like screen real estate. They probably haven't really found a good way to do it yet. Make that work on phones yeah. and shit. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah. Just because it's not just like the number of people; those games tend to last a lot longer. So there's usually a lot more out. So it's I could see how, like, development-wise, it would be a royal pain in the ass. All right, all right, all right, all right. Right. Oh, I watched the Sonic movie. This, I watched the Sonic movie. Oh, that's really good. Sonic um, was in an RPG. Meow. <laughs> I was. Uh, there, there was. There were some obvious criticisms I could make. I don't feel like the uh, mean sister-in-law added a single thing to that film. No, it's, it feels it's like she's like there for like one joke. She's left. She feels like she's left over from an earlier draft. Yeah, she's they seem to have realized that because she does a lot more in the, the sequel. yeah i'm given to understand she's much more important in the sequel, yeah. but yeah and very in, in this well. in, the, in that first one she's just sort of like there yeah uh my my only other major complaint is one that i'm also given to understand exists in the is fixed in the sequel What's which is, and this is this was just a thing about the uh the stinger at the end but the way that the stinger at the end implies that it's going around it's like Oh, Tails is uh, Tails is seeking out Sonic because he's super important, and like it, that bothered me because 
the correct way for Tails to function as a character is Tails doesn't seek out Sonic because of some intrinsic importance of Sonic. Tails seeks out Sonic because Sonic's cool and he wants to hang out with Sonic. Yeah, no, that's exactly what happens. Yeah, I'm given to understand yeah. that they do that, but like yeah. the the stinger at the end of the first one, taken on its own, was like very off-putting to me at the yeah. time. No, I can see that. And thankfully, thankfully that's, they, that's they not the direction awesome. they went at all. Yeah, but otherwise, solid fun, solid kids movie. Yeah. The sequel is a lot better in all those ways, but also just kind of pulls in a lot more video gamey references that weren't necessarily that the weren't like a lot in the the first movie. Yeah. I was I was talking to another friend who's a big Sonic fan. You may know him, he's a yelling skeleton, but uh, <laughs> uh we were talking about it and he was like, Yeah, apparently the, the someone involved in it about that like the mushroom ship was supposed to be like a, a like weird burn on Mario. That's <laughs> like no, not a single human being interpreted that way because like anyone who had any context for it would have thought, oh, it's Mushroom Hill Zone. Yeah. Exactly. And like it works so much better to just think it's Mushroom Hill Zone. Yeah. Shit, we got a raid from Hero Harmony. Welcome. Hey. Welcome. I'm talking about Sonic movie. Yeah. The first one, not even the new one. <laughs> but yeah, I, I had a good time. I had a good time. Yeah, it's a good fun movie. Even I mean, yeah. my mom went with me and the kids when we saw it the first time. She even was like laughing her ass off. Yeah, I, I would I would put it as like a similar quality level to something like Detective Pikachu. Yeah. So I had late my time zone. Oh, looking forward. May to... the fourth be with you. Uh, you <laughs> as well. Uh, what were you saying, Wales? I was going to say, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing your reaction to some of the fun stuff in the second movie. Whenever yeah, I'm excited for when that hits streaming, because like, yeah. I, I can't really justify, uh, especially going alone to Yeah. Oh, well, it's not really a spoiler, but I was going to say, from the trailers, I thought, oh, they're not going to do like dopey knuckles at all. And I, they're absolutely good. They, I, they absolutely sure. did dopey knuckles. <laughs> like, the thing about dopey knuckles is that, like, Anytime you force Knuckles to explain his own thought processes, a it's kind of impossible for him not to come off as a... Yeah. Nice. But the thing about Dopey Knuckles is that, like, the second you force Knuckles to explain his thought processes in, to any degree of length, it's impossible for him not to come off as a dope. Yeah. Because, like, it requires him to just be... Because, like, even the initial Sonic 3 Knuckles, like... It requires him to have just credulously believed literally everything Eggman told him. Yeah. Like, you just seem like a dipshit. I'm sorry, buddy. It's just a curse. But yeah. But on the bright side, he's also Idris Elba, so he'll at least yeah. sound cool while being a dope. Idris Elba is awesome. <laughs> and he does a great job. I always love seeing him in, like, weirder roles. I remember there's a... Let me double check this to make sure I'm remembering right. Uh, uh, yeah, he was he was like this uh, the, in one of the later seasons of The Office. He's like this brown nosing like asshole uh, <laughs> that like fires the fires the regional manager or like forces out the re regional manager. 
And he, it's, it's very funny to see uh, Idris Elba in that role because, like, he is splitting the difference between being, like, just a normal, like, kind of hard-nosed boss, but then, like, when an actual executive comes up, he becomes, like, the most, like, kiss-ass man imaginable. And he, he does a great job. He's very funny. Nice. Yeah. Also great in Suicide Squad. The new one. Oh, yeah, excellent. Say. Yeah, but, you know, it's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, uh, so what have we been playing? Uh, so I've been playing a lot of dot hack. Oh, yeah? Making some progress in that. I just finished the tournament in the arena. Nice. So that I'm means you're getting sure. close to the end of the first yeah. part. I'm only 15 hours in. How... It's not... The first part, I feel like, is shorter than part two and three. That's what I figured. But the first part is also, like, much more arena-centric. You will keep doing the arenas, but, like... The first part really frames a lot of its key story beats around where the arena is at the moment. And, yeah. like, you know, by the time you finish the arena, like, Paseo has learned to be much less of an asshole. Yeah. But. Poor Adelie. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to learn a lot about her over the course of the games. Yeah. Is that good or bad? No, no. She's like, you know, she's just a multifaceted figure who's going to grow at probably close to as much as the Sao. Yeah. Um, like that's, that's what makes her an interesting character rather than just an archetype. But, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, it sounds like you're near the end of volume one. Yep, just good. Looking forward to finally, finally seeing the resolution finally. to a cliffhanger you first encountered like ten years yes, ago. Yes, finally starting part two. Uh, I, I had to boot up uh, GU again as well, both because I didn't want to put it down for too long, but also because uh, Disco Elysium is equal parts one of the funniest things I've ever played, and also exceptionally depressing in places. So oh, good. I was also going to say some more about Triangle Strategy. Mm -hmm. um, really, really great like battle designs and tough choices late in the game. Oh, uh, I would imagine. And um, like what just happened? A major character gets murdered off screen, but it was after a choice where you can go one of three different places. And had I gone so one you might place, have witnessed that murder. I might have witnessed it, yes. But it's also one that's like spoiled in the tra in one of the trailers, which really annoys me. So I kind of knew it was happening at some point. It's a good thing I didn't watch any of the trailers. I have yeah. no idea what you're talking about. Uh, no, it's really good. I got some new character, a not new characters, a new character for the first time in a long time, and one I yeah. was how far you are in. Yeah. I would imagine it's a, getting low on those. It's a character I thought might become like a party member because it's someone you fight a few times. And mm -hmm. thankfully, I was right. Uh, I don't think I have the shout-out command, Hollywood. I am the worst sort of streamer. The lazy kind. Yeah. But yeah, you were saying about uh, Triangle Strategy. 
Uh, so yeah, the great battle designs. Like there was one I had a lot of trouble with where you are put in the middle of a bridge, enemies enemies on one side and enemies on the other side. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Yes. Uh, and there there are some like ladders you can take down off to the sides of the bridge, so I had to kind of like cheese it that way, like move, rush a bunch, as many people as I could survive down those ladders and then like try and take out like one enemy at a time as they came down there. And eventually when it got to the point where none were coming back up, I had to try and move everybody back up and try and take out the remaining survivors. It took a while. And then there's just like a lot of battles that make you think carefully about like height and placing your characters and where you're kind of going to go to fight. So like choke points are incredibly important. It's just, uh, you, you look at it and it's like, okay, this is just like Final Fantasy Tactics, but it really make forces you to think a lot more about the terrain than those games usually did. Like, sure, those games had terrain, but you didn't necessarily have to use it all that much. Whereas this, it's like, you you need to pay attention to what the hell you're doing, or you will fail. Unless you're playing mm -hmm. on like the easiest difficulty, obviously. But yeah, <laughs> it's but yeah, it's an extremely well designed game. It's not perfect, but it's definitely one of the best strategy RPGs I've played in a long, long time. So it's my front runner for RPG of the year right now. And Damn. I haven't even finished it yet. I'm looking forward to getting into that. I played a bit of FF Tactics this week, actually, because a friend of mine uh, who does who never finished it uh, when it was new on either of its versions was like having trouble with it, and I was trying to help him. So I was like... Okay, I'm gonna boot this up. Try to sort of help you understand how to play this game properly. Nice. So that's been that's been kind of fun. Nice. Uh, well, here, homie says he was playing Jedi Fallen Order. That's also a game that kicks. Oh, that game! That game owns. Yeah, I love that game. Great story. Looking great, forward to the everything. inevitable sequel to that. Yeah. I need to play it now that it's been upgraded for like PS5. Yeah, me too. Yeah, what, uh, what respawn make more RPG-ish stuff, please. <laughs> they can do a lot, clearly. I mean, I'm sure they're making Fallen Order too. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Um, but yeah, I, I played a bit of FF Tactics. Uh, just sort of tossed on more of the lions. Uh, which, yeah, it's one of those things, like, uh, I feel like everyone who plays that game uh, spends at least a bit of time stuck on the Daughter Slums. Yeah. Uh, that, that battle is extremely... Uh, we hope you figured out how this works by now, because we're not helping you as much anymore. <laughs> uh, like, that knight just running around... Uh, just a giant pain in the ass. Just like you'll get rid of all the archers and then, and you know, eventually the wizards as well. And it's like, well, that knight is still wa like wandering around, beating the shit out of people. Like if he hits anyone, they're basically dead. That. That's what Rom's uh, with yell slash tailwind is for to just keep getting enough turns to hit and run with. Yeah. 
yeah, it's, it's you know, it's FF Tactics, it's so good. Um, but yeah, I was just trying to show said friend that no, you're not somehow fucked his build already. It's, it's you know, doable. Uh, give some job recommendations. Like, Monk is really strong early on. Go ahead and get that. Yeah. But, yeah. So, that was fun. Uh, like I said, played some .hack GU Volume 3. That's, uh, that's chugging along. There's a lot of plot shit happening there that I'm not going to bring up what's happening because even intimating what's happening would probably be a huge spoiler. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a strong final act of the original trilogy, and I'll be excited to see the coda when I get to Volume 4. And I played some more Disco Elysium. Uh, well, as mentioned, I had to slightly dial back just because, like, you know, as as mentioned, it's one of the funniest games I've ever played a lot of times, but it's also oftentimes one of the most, like, oh, this is just dark. It's just really dark. Um, it's, it's extremely good. Uh, and, you know, it's one of those games that I still can't stop thinking about, which is probably the, one of the most uh, important like ways I would grade any RPG or really any game it's like it gives me a lot to think about like that's, yeah that's rare and powerful praise um, but yeah uh, I picked up I internalized a few new thoughts uh, I referenced with one of them earlier uh, oh smoking Joe comes in and asks how the new PC parts are great uh, so far, so good. Uh, I internalized a new thought uh, called Jamais Vu de Realization, which is your character sort of taking advantage of the fact that he has amnesia, sort of experience the world in a new way. So, like, every time you uh, understand, like, every time you look at, like, uh, an object to understand it better, you get an experience point, which is actually really powerful because leveling up is one is a hundred experience points every time. So you get a lot of just bonus XP for just looking at things, which is an act that does not take time, which is the real resource in Disco Uh So, like that's been very interesting. Uh, I kind of cracked uh, what actually happened in terms of this murder that the, the entire game is framed around uh, and have a prime suspect but one who is currently on the run uh, but yeah like uh, like actually doing the proper autopsy of the body is one of those things where it's like it's written in a very specific fashion and I fully understand and respect why it's written that way but it is also just deeply like unnerving to me yeah. Because it's written, it's the the autopsy is written very dispassionately. Yeah. Uh, it's like it, it's written how you would write about like cutting up a piece of meat, and so you'll like uh, get to this point where you're like examining uh, damage uh, that occurred to the victim's head, and we'll just be talking about like this portion of the brain was likely uh, destroyed by something, and you know like stopping these functions from happening it's, it's honestly very unsettling very intentionally but you know one of those things where it's like oh i can i can only play so much of this at once before it's just too too dark um 
but uh, there, there's been some other interesting uh, goings on uh, thus far. Um, what else was I going to bring up? Oh, <laughs> this is pretty funny. Uh, there is a, a point where you are. Uh, you can you can if you investigate properly, you can find out that there that the. Uh, dock workers who have something to do with the incident, but you're not clear what they claim responsibility for the murder, but like it's not clear if they're lying or not. Uh, but you can uh, find out that they have this quote-unquote special borscht that they're all uh, drinking. Uh, and if you choose to further investigate that, you find out that uh, it's special because it's just spiked with like shit tons of vodka. Mm -hmm. And if you find that out, you're allowed to request some. And if you drink it, it gives you a permanent plus one to your physical stats. Oh my god. For every swig that you take, you can take up to three. Wow. Uh, it's, uh, I'll, I'll put this in perspective. Uh, six is as high as a base stack. Wow. So, uh, yeah. It, it, like, getting... One, two, even, uh, like, or if you're really going crazy, three points in a stat is, like, nuts. <laughs> because, like, that boosts an entire tree of skills. Like, you just instantly get better at, like, five different skills at once. But, yeah, so that's that's something. Uh, there, The game is, of course, uh, interested and concerned with, like, uh, the protagonist's obvious alcoholism. And so the game does actually comment on if you manage to go the entire game without ever drinking. But, you know, that's uh, that's up to you what kind of ending you want for uh, your detective, whose name is not really a spoiler, but it is something you are forced to try to learn. <laughs> and you are also allowed to reject when someone finally tells you what it is. It's just like, no, that, that name doesn't sound like me. It's going to be someone else. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, tr truly still excellent some of the best writing I've ever seen in a video game uh, an excellent marriage of mechanic and theme uh, very unique uh, art and soundscape uh, and uh, you know every so often you'll get uh, one of the funniest things I've ever read in a game just around, <laughs> like it'll just show up there was a point where, like, I was interrogating someone, and uh, the game, like, I, I had a volition check. Volition's not one of my best skills, but I, I made the check, uh, and uh, my volition basically uh, sat there and said, uh, like, without saying it, he basically said, you're attracted to this person, and it's making you really stupid. <laughs> Because basically what it does is, like, because every time you're talking to someone, like, various parts of your brain are interrupting to make commentary, like your logic or your uh, perception or anything else. And your volition, in this case, jumps in and says, all of them are lying to you. They don't know, like, they are not, they are pulling punches when talking to this person. Uh, like, the, the only ones that have not uh, reached that point are myself and your encyclopedia section, because he won't shut up about random shit. <laughs> but, uh, like, 
your sense of drama that normally tries to tell you that everyone's lying to you suddenly trusts this person. That's a problem. You need to, you you cannot trust these people in this context. And you have to you have to reach a point where you have a lot of evidence to suspect that person before those start coming back online. But at that point, your sense of volition will point out, yeah, now they're overcompensating. <laughs> Now the now they're like making leaks in order to discredit this person because they fucked up before, and it's it's a very interesting uh, way of examining like the sort of human element of any attempt to like investigate something where it's like your gut decisions, your like personal biases will fuck you over sometimes, mm-hmm. and you'll make bad choices or bad calls. And that's that's one of the things I think Disco Elysium does better than just about any other game I've ever played, which is a lot of times when you play an RPG, when you fuck up, like the the failure state is largely uninteresting because the failure state is uh, that you tried something and for some reason on their end it didn't. Like, especially with persuasion, like you'll say something and what you say doesn't actually change that much. much. It's just that uh, in some ineffable way, you were less persuasive than someone else might have been. Did I lose here? No. Not like that one bit. Hello? There we go. Okay, I'm back. Where did I cut out? Um, I forget. <laughs> okay, I'll just hit the point I was going to make. Uh, the thing I like about Disco Elysium... Uh, is that a lot of times in other games when you fuck up a skill check, the implication is that uh, sort of something failed on their end, especially with persuasion. Like, it's usually you said something and they just didn't believe it for whatever reason. In this, it's always... There's usually a more interesting fail state. Something like you said something or tried to say something and then fucked up somewhere along the way. Like, you couldn't think of something quickly enough, or your, like, idea sucked. Like, uh... Like, the the trying to pitch to the rich investor. Like, if you fail that pitch, it's that your brain just doesn't come up with anything that's worthwhile. And it shows. And But the other thing is that, of course, uh, you know, there's generally just more interesting consequences for failure in Disco Elysium. Like the, the aforesaid pitching uh, investment opportunity to the rich guy. Uh, you get an idea from, th- from failing that as opposed to succeeding. Succeeding gets you money. Failing gets you an idea. And like the the thought that you get from that idea is something that you can choose to integrate into your character, which is like a much more interesting failure state than you get in most RPGs. And like that that's 
that's always fun. Like the because the game is designed with a with a keen idea of what is an interesting failure state and what is a failure state that just kind of pisses you off. Because like an interesting failure state, the game will uh, it, it will just branch. Something will happen other than what you wanted. But uh, in more interesting failure, if the, if you really need something, like if you want to try to do it again, the game will let... If you fail a check, you're allowed to do it again as long as you you need to improve your stats in that area in some, in some way, shape, or form. Like when your stats in that area improve, the check opens up again. You can try again. And that's an interesting way to sort of earmark something as something you want to come back to, something you still want to talk about. It's, it's just a really well done game. Uh, I've been having just a, a, a great time with it. Uh, my character is currently alone for the time being because since we actually finished the autopsy, the body, my character partner has to go take the t body to the uh, police department, and that means that I am off on my own, which means I am absolutely going to go graffiti a big wall. Which is something my character was desperately desperately wanting to do the previous night, so... That'll be fun. I have no idea what, if any, consequence will come from that, but... Here we are. Uh... Wheels, what are you looking for? Controller. Put it away? <laughs> no, I wasn't using it. Uh, gross. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's all that. We should probably take on some questions. Sure. Unless you've got more game to talk about. Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, I played a bit of... I did this on stream, actually. I played a bit of Rune King and League of Legends story. Uh, which is actually a lot of fun. Um... About the only thing I would say about it is it's got an interesting battle system with like turn order manipulation. Like when you use hmm. certain skills, you can make it faster and less powerful, or in slower and more powerful, and that can manipulate when your character's next turn happens, which could which could alter different things like. Uh, one interesting thing I ran into was there's like poison clouds as a hazard in some dungeons, and if you get into a battle in one of those, like the poison cloud is like a chunk of like the timeline of turns. So depending on how you manip manipulate your character's turn, you could either get poisoned and affected by it, or avoid it entirely. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, it's a game by Airship Syndicate who did um, Darksiders Genesis and uh, the Battle Chasers mm. game. Uh, so they they've definitely built themselves a pretty interesting portfolio so so far. So very mm. good game. I'm curious what they're gonna work on after this. It's, it's definitely a neat little studio that is mm. currently not owned by the Embracer Group. Give it time. Yeah. see so we've got some 
We've got some questions in the Discord from dear old Fireminer. Um, Sweet. A bunch of them are Dragon Quest related. We'll circle back to them when Platy is here, but I can hit some quick ones, some quick, like, short versions of these answers so you get some in a more reasonable time frame. Uh, did someone just pop in, or did I? Yeah, I just was hearing things. Uh, what is the most important element that TQ had it? that differentiated it from the likes of wizardry other than being slightly less of a pain to play. I think that is the most important element. Probably. <laughs> like, less of a pain to play, doesn't kill you immediately, doesn't punish you for dying. Hello? I can hear you now, yeah. Okay. Uh, how long was I gone? Just a few seconds. Yeah. But, yeah, I think, I think that... Uh, not being a pain to play was the thing that DQ introduced. Like the idea of being friendly to the player goes a long way. Yeah. But I would also add not being in first person, which especially at the time was an unintuitive view. Yeah. Uh, simplifying the uh, party, party system down to one character for the original was also like an important way to ease people into the idea of how these games worked. There's a lot of reasons. Uh, had the SNES versions of DQ3, 5, and 6 uh, brought to the States, how high would their sales be? Probably not great. Like, being honest, late Super Nintendo RPGs, RPGs on Super Nintendo probably only, like, the big ones only did a few hundred thousand units. Like, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't think that DQ would have broken that mold. Probably, like, a few hundred thousand units tops. Uh... Is there any reason that DQ4 didn't receive a SNES remake or was 3 just that iconic for next uh, business opportunity and selling it a second time? Yeah, it's mostly just 3 is the big one. Uh, does it irk you that the most complete version of the DS remake of 4 is actually the iOS or Android version? Thank God that I recently found a patch that adds the party chat back to the DS release. Yeah, I, I don't like playing things that are clearly not games built for touchscreens on touchscreens so it's one of those like that's a shame but also DQ4 isn't one of my favorites so I don't feel too bad about it any thoughts wheels uh, okay on DQ3 or just DQ4. on DQ uh, any of these really uh, no not really I've, I've yeah I don't know <laughs> We'll be getting back to these when Potty is here as well. Yeah. So we'll have more insight to add. I, I love DQ4. That was the f first, like, more modern remake game I played through. Mm. But I have still uh, never played through three. Which other games suffer from the same condition? Anyone remember that the iOS release of SMT1 is the only official translation of that game from Atlas? Yep. And that game's no longer playable because Apple does not give a shit about legacy support and is in fact trying to force, uh, trying to automatically delist anything that hasn't received an update in more in more than three years, uh, even if it works. It so. also sucks. SMT One's not a great game, but it's it really sucks bad. because that was the only official translation oh, yeah, of it. For sure, I know, I know, I understand. <laughs> Luckily, people have ripped that translation out and patched it into the GBA version. Good. Uh, do you have any DQ fantasy you know won't be made possible, but you still dream? I always want another remake of Five that, amongst other things, allows you to marry all three heroines. I think you're going to find a very limited amount of. Uh, I, I assume you mean. I, I assume you don't mean on one file because that seems uh, like something that's just not going to happen. 
I, I don't see how that would work. But in any case, uh, <laughs> I, I would I would appreciate another remake of Five. I know people like the way that the uh, PS2 version looks. I always thought it looked kind of ass ugly, personally. Uh, let me double check. Maybe I'm misremembering. Uh... Nope, still do not care for the way this 3D looks. I don't think it works very well. <laughs> Personally, it, it it needed to be more stylized for my tastes. So, like, I would like a, a DQ5 that looks more like a DQ11. But, and, I mean, that's not impossible, but I, who knows. Uh, but we'll get back to this when Platy is here. I'm sure he will have much more coherent thoughts. Uh, but also, I want uh, DQ8 with its 3DS feature as part of the Switch, please and thank you. Uh, put it in glorious HD. But, let's see. Now for the normal questions. Are you awake? Yes. Uh, is there any RPG that uses cheat codes to extend the playability of the game, like GoldenEye or Perfect Dark? Cheat codes have just always been rare in RPGs. Yeah. I, I can't think immediately off the top of my head of any that have, like, have cheat codes as, like, a built-in concept. The closest I can think of is the Grade Shop in some of the Tales games. Uh, that, well, Disgaea... Disgaea. Oh, kind of. Literally, the later games have something called a cheat shop. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like I think I'm thinking about like the Tales of games that have like the grade shop where it's like if you spend X amount of grade once you finish the game, you can get like uh, 10x exp, and that like completely like it uh, changes the game quite a bit because you know you're always over level drastically. Uh, that, that that would be kind of it. There's there's only so much you can really do with an RPG in that context. Uh, but yeah, like Tales of and Disgaea would be kind of it. Uh, see, uh, what are some examples of games using royalty-free music? I recently found out that Konami's Cosmic Bakery used a rendition of Yankee Doodle. Kami did that a lot back in the day. Uh, the entire Parodius franchise uses uh, remixes of uh, like public domain classical music. Uh, so, if you want to hear some really uh, silly sounding versions of classical songs, uh, go play. Uh, I don't know. Shikyo Shabari Parodius forever with me. Uh, can you think of any examples of someone doing this? This tends to not show up. And like, I think I've uh, indie games will also sometimes do this. For, yeah. Just, you know. Didn't um, Catherine use a bunch of public domain music? Yeah. Yes, it does. Uh, that's the only a, one that jumps to mind. Yeah, there's a persistent rumor that I'm not sure is actually well sourced that claims that 
Uh, the Legend of Zelda was originally going to use Ravel's Bolero in the soundtrack. But, I don't know. Which would have been weird. But, you know. It's, uh, yeah, that, that would be... That's that's an uh, might have been of history if that claim is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if you don't know it by name, you've heard Bolero in various places. Um, besides two D sprites and cell shading, uh, which thing helps prevent games from looking too aged? Uh, Solid art direction. Yeah, like there are, there are ways to do solid art directions that aren't uh, hyper cartoony that are still like I would say that the PS2 Metal Gear Solid games still look very good. Yeah. Uh, even though they're relatively realistic looking, but their art direction is extremely strong. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think that's the most important thing because a lot of the games that like quote unquote age poorly, it's like trying to do too much like trying to yeah. go beyond the capabilities of whatever system you're on like compare in general a, compare okay. a lot of like early 3d ps1 games to say legend of mana which yes got an uh, updated remaster but like if they just slapped it on there it would have looked fine <laughs> it's yeah. it looks so there are a lot of people who would have preferred they had done that but yeah uh but uh, just just thinking about it, like even because that falls under two D sprites still. But uh, oh, for sure. But I mean, that too. You look at yeah. say Final Fantasy Nine compared to um, Final Fantasy Eight, and <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of memes about yeah. that. Uh, you're the best looking guy here. Low resolution image. Right. Uh, in general, uh, I would also argue that. Uh, anything that's like really about like texture detail tends to be like something that looks really cool and impressive when it's new and like garbage later because that's one of those things that like the technology involved in it is always improving and the techniques involved in it are often changing and so uh, like games that have like really detailed textures for their era tend to not have uh tend to be uh you know to age unimpressively i guess is how i would describe it Mm. Uh, and you know there's there's a lot of ways uh that a game can look cartoony and still age badly but you know there's also there's a lot of ways to have a solid arc direction that uh can still be realistic or at least semi-realistic. But, you know, uh, I I suppose the answer is there needs to be an intentionality behind the art direction that isn't just mimics how a real thing looks. Yeah. And, you know, like, that that is kind of the, the broad strokes of it. Like, uh, an understanding of what 
of what limits are and also like a choice to uh, build around those limits rather than uh, just uh, crash against them as far as you can manage, which, you know, a lot of respect for people who manage to pull unexpected things out of hardware, but there is like just the end point where it's just not possible to achieve what you want to achieve. And like the, the longer the game is out, the more it's going to be obvious that there was just no way to do what you wanted. <laughs> But you'll you'll still get like uh, I was watching uh, Digital Foundry's retro video on uh, the first few Gran Turismo games, and those look good despite being essentially entirely realistic-looking games. Uh, they have a strong uh, art direction that communicates tone and mood in a way that, uh, you know that shows like an eye for detail that might not have been there uh, otherwise. Uh... We all know racing fans are very keen on their uh, eye for detail on how the cars look. Yeah, but like the thing that makes some of those old Gran Turismo games still look good is the eye for detail on how to present a map in a way that's atmospheric. You can look at them and it's like, well, we chose to set this map at sunset and like the, all the color grading has been done to make that look good. And that makes the games look age a lot better than some of the contemporaries might have been. You'll see that in the old Ridge Racer games as well. Those all look great. And those were extreme technological powerhouses at the time, but they're also just like, they show a very fine uh, detail, like clever art direction that creates atmosphere in addition to being realistic. Uh, also, hi, Tom. Uh, also, conversely, which thing make games look old besides digitized sprites and pre-7 Gen 3 graphics? And we'll probably also include, like, real people in FMV uh, as part of digitized graphics. Yeah. The, there is no more obvious hallmark to me than digitized graphics. Like, that is something that only looked good to people in, like, 1992. <laughs> And anyone looking at them afterwards is just like, what the fuck were you thinking, sir? Yeah, um, although, I mean, if, F if the, like, FMVs using, like, real people became more predominant and not just, like, sort of this niche gaming thing, it could have, we could have some really interesting, like, movie-style games. Besides you still do see those happen occasionally. But yeah. It's one of those things, like, it would have required, like, people, like, the, the issue, of course, at the time was that, like, the kinds of budgets games were getting at the time was never going to afford them the something that didn't look like a, the cheapest TV show you've ever seen. Yeah, look at uh, Wing Commander 3 and 4. <laughs> Starring Good Mark Hamill. Yep, as Blair. No, no, uh, Mark Hamill was Maverick. Oh, Maverick! Yes, yes, yes. You would you the player or player or something? <laughs> or maybe that was only from the first few games. There's a character that was just like originally like blue hair, and they just like yeah, that, that was Maverick in the first two games. And then uh, they hired course, Mark Hamill to play Maverick in the third and fourth game. Mm. Guess what? He's blue hair to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I blue blue hair is still like. I kind of prefer. Honestly, I think Wing Commander would have lasted better of a series if they didn't try going that direction. Yeah, I mean, it was a very mid '90s idea. 
Oh, did you ever see the Wing Commander 5 port that someone did to Game Boy Advance? No. It is a wild thing that they attempted. It was made by an Italian studio called Raylight. And it's, uh... They were keen on, like, trying to push the GBA as far as they could possibly go. That company has, like, you can find uh, videos of this on YouTube. That company made a proof-of-concept prototype to pitch Capcom on a Game Boy Advance port of Resident Evil 2 in full 3D. Whoa. Like, it's... It doesn't look good in the, like, traditionalist sense of, like, it doesn't look exactly like the PS1 version, although it looks a darn sight closer than it reasonably should. Uh, but, like, the Leon model is clearly they constructed the model out of, uh, like, essentially by hand looking at the asset rather than just ripping the asset out. And so he animates extremely strangely. But it's a really impressive demo if you've never seen it. Uh, the uh, Resident Evil 2 GBA uh, proof of concept demo from Raylight Studios is fascinating. Um, but they, they did manage to get someone to bite on a Wing Commander 5 GBA port, so... If you're ever bored, go look that up. It's very strange. Uh, but yeah, obvious hallmarks of... Uh, uh, obvious things that make a game look old. Uh, like I think the, the betrayal always ends up being like... There, there are certain aspects of modeling that uh, like might fall under the, the, the auspices of early 3D graphics, but uh, early 3D models especially tend to be very uh, intri uh, very uh, polygon count heavy. Like, that's how they make them look better. Just buff the polygon count. Uh, Which, interestingly enough, Final Fantasy XIV has a much lower polygon rate than a lot of games. Yeah, which is also because it's going to have like way more characters potentially on screen, but... Uh, and it still looks very damn good. Well, uh, uh, well, agreed. It is great. It looks good for an MMO, but uh, uh, looks a lot better than WoW. I mean, yeah, but WoW is also ten years its junior at this stage. <laughs> but yeah, and uh, they still won't update it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but like, uh, yeah, like. like Especially if you look at, like, go, go look up any discussion of, uh, from any behind-the-scenes from a developer who was making PS1 games and then started making PS2 games. You'll always hear them talking about, like, oh, on the PS1, our character was made up of, like, 400 polygons, and now they're made up of, like, 8,000. And it's like, okay, that's, I mean, that's great. Like, that does look, they do look significantly better, but it's, like, uh... Like, raw poly count is not something people usually brag about for models anymore. It's usually, like, there's all sorts of things about... Like, if they're going to talk about, like, polygon count, it's going to be something about the, the raw geometry uh, involved. Uh, whereas, like, you, you know, geometric complexity uh, and like texture detail and all these things like when you're when you look at these uh those older models they often have uh much simpler texturing because you know resolutions on textures are lower and like there's all sorts of reasons as to why you do that 
but uh, that's one of those telltale like things you can look out for. It's just texture detail and quality tends to be one of those things that just keeps scaling up. Uh, next to the uh, next to the obvious Comic Sans, which font should never be used in a game. I mean, Undertale made Comic Sans work for it, to be fair. <laughs> but, um, and what's funny is the character that used it was a bit of a comic. Yeah. And, of course, his brother was the other, like, font no one ever wants to see, Papyrus. But... Uh... Yeah. Um, like, honestly, I'm, I'm not the person to ask on fonts. Like, there are tons of games I'll play where people are just like, where I'll see a bunch of people being like, this font sucks. How did this make it into the game? And I'm just like, oh, okay. Seems fine. Yeah, I can I mean, read it. Pixel, Pixel Remaster, I'm not sure what they use for that, but there's a lot of people who don't like that one, and I have no issue with it. Yeah, people people seem furious about that. I assume that's what prompted this discussion was like, or that what prompted this question was like probably the pixel remaster because that people got real up in arms about that font, and it's just like I don't, I don't know, it seems fine. Like the only fonts I don't like are ones I can't read. Like if any of the letters look too similar, I'm gonna get pissed off. But like otherwise, I don't know. Like just give me something readable. That's all that matters to me. Really going for a strength build? <laughs> okay. so, so basically, I, I know a, I know a font that should never be in a video game. <sighs> What's that? Wingdings. <laughs> Good luck communicating with that one. Yeah. And what's that is I have seen a game use it now. Oh boy. Yeah, Super Robot Wars Thirty has a character from one of the animes. I assume they're supposed to just be unintelligible? Yeah, it's unintelligible to us as in, you know, yeah. our language. So they yeah. use, like, the symbol of, uh, it's not wingdings, it's like a, they use just like a star of, you know. Yeah, something thing. like wingdings. Yeah, to basically just, and like, no one can understand what the person is saying, and then there's the character on our side who's um, some, you know, from the same race who translates and she, she's like, and she can't even talk about it, be, uh, tell, uh, you know, say what this person's saying because it's basically calling us piles of shit. <laughs> so you did decide on whispers. So, but, right. so yeah, it, it's um, very, uh, but, you know, some, unless there's like some sort of real reason for it, Having an like entire conversations using something like Wingdings would be absolutely just horrendously bad, unless it's portrayed in some manner that makes sense. Like in this case, where you have a character who can a translate and b they are from an alien race where there is definitely a language barrier. Mm. She, the character also then insults you, saying you can't speak in a civilized tongue. Of course, I as well. Of course. Of course. One of those characters. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of any... You had a very good explosive when I killed you. <laughs> uh, forgot that the game will just generate Star Wars-y names for you. But... Uh, Wheels is playing KOTOR for those listening. Uh, 
Uh, is this the remastered version or is this the original? That's just the Switch version. The Switch port. There is no remastered version. <laughs> I mean, this does run better than it did on the Xbox yeah, or whatever no, that's there's, worth. There's only ports. There's no remastered version. There's a remake in the works. But, uh... But yeah, have, first. Have we uh have has the latest uh, Blizzard news made the talk show tonight? What's the latest? Oh, Blizzard that they got sued now? by New York. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's surprising. Yeah, New York. Basically. Crazy. Um. Oh, go ahead and take the lead, David. I'm going. Activision to Blizzard, sir. Also. Activision can't, can't lump it into half of the company. I mean, they're, they're the same company. It's just yeah, different. The same thing. It's like saying Coke or Coca Cola. Um, but yeah, basically, uh, the, the, there's an alleged breach of fiduciary duty, basically that, uh, Kotick, uh, being under fire for like a million different lawsuits, uh, tried to fast track a sale of the company in order to, uh, get out from under them. And, uh, Essentially, the the argument being made is he sold it for less than it's worth. That uh, I feel like he this all checks a, out. <laughs> say what? I said I feel like this all checks out. Yeah, ba basically the the issue being that uh, the price as negotiated uh, through via the Microsoft buyout would essentially have all shares purchased at what was essentially face value around uh, before he was. Uh, before the lawsuit started coming on, which usually when you're, you know, proposing a big buyout, you you are having to make it worth their while. You pay more than the face value of the shares. Uh, and also an argument that the board should have stopped him from doing this because due to these pressures, he was not fit to negotiate sale. So they are essentially using this as an excuse to crack open the books, uh, get an idea of, like, who, what, what other alleged offers were on the table? Uh, because when they made the sale, Activision alleged that they had courted five different buyers uh, and only specified one other, which was that they had apparently uh, off, had like put themselves up to Facebook for sale. But <laughs> but yeah, like it's it's unclear uh, like what if anything this will end up doing, but. It's another of the like nine million things that make this buyout like weird, complicated, and one of the more likely to fall through that we've seen in like terms of major buyouts. Yeah, especially because of the fact that since, because the, again they're alleging that uh, it's an easy out for Kotick. Yeah. Buyout goes through, then of course he's going to agree with it because you know and and they're actually yeah. also not targeting just him but also several of the board members too yeah because the the allegations also indicate that the board should have known and attempted to stop this by virtue of the fact that it was putting codec's uh financial stat like financial and personal protection above that of the company but like codec of course wants the company gone because like essentially it's there's all sorts of legalese about like what kind, like how you could sue an entity that essentially doesn't exist anymore. And yeah, so so the 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 big red tape of buying a gigantic company 
that is also uh, embattled by like nine million lawsuits uh, is uh, continuing to go apace. But yeah, we'll we'll see what ends up happening there. But it's it's interesting. Uh, uh, we're we're bound to get a better insight as to what the fuck is going on with that company's books, just by virtue of the fact that like a state is suing them specifically to get those books open. So that's fun. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, uh, I suppose for fonts that I typically find to be unreadable, don't don't make me try to parse your handwriting. Like ha handwritten or cursive-looking fonts are just going to confuse me. Don't do this to me. Uh. <laughs> Choices of what you're equipping make you seem like a huge nerd. Huh? Um, but yeah. Uh, in conclusion, I'm fine with any font that uh, I can actually read. Beloved Kotor character who definitely survives to the end of the game, Crash Dolko. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so that's, uh, that's all the new questions. Uh, and Gamer Esquire said, always look forward to podcasts with my M3 since that means a fellow Octopath defender will be part of the discussion. And that feels weird to me because I feel like we are. Generally, auto Octopath uh, defenders on this podcast. Yeah, this is a pro Octopath show. Yeah, I promise. If you need us to talk nice things about uh, Octopath Traveler, you need only to ask us about Octopath Traveler. Yes. <laughs> it cleans the, the bad taste of bravely default out of your mouth. It's great. I can never even tell if you're remembering that you're saying that name wrong at this point. <laughs> oh no, it's totally intentional. Of course. But, yeah. Uh, so yeah, if you want us to say nice things about Octopath, just ask us about Octopath. We'll say nice things about Octopath. Mm, what a neat game. Um, sometimes you just want to duel people. Um, see anything else? Um, It's getting real late, so I'll just do one or two questions from the big list. Let's see. Um, speaking of military shooters, besides Call of Duty, what ongoing franchises use spectacle slash set pieces to hide their flaws? I'm not even convinced that's really hiding flaws. It's just the entire game design philosophy of something like Call of Duty. It's a roller coaster. Uh, but, uh, like, if you made me uh, list some other stuff, I mean, <laughs> I don't even want to be mean to this game. I like this game, but FF13? <laughs> like, that is a game 
that is very much built around spectacle in order to sort of uh, cover for some things that are maybe uh, may- maybe some weaker mechanical underpinnings. I really enjoyed uh, the second game. Oh, now you're a blood enemy of wheels. Um, it's fine. Okay. Story but, is just yeah. trash garbage. But yeah, I mean, like it's, it's time travel. What do you expect? I expect uh, better. Chrono Trigger. <laughs> uh, no, I don't even expect Chrono Trigger. I expect. I expect something, not what I got. Like <laughs> I understand. See, that's the thing. You went in with the expectations. I did. See, I don't. What's wrong into... with that? See, I go into games with no expectations, so that's how come I enjoy a lot more games than a lot of people. I mean, I had low <laughs> expectations, but I had expectations that it wouldn't suck. I think I feel like that's a pretty reasonable expectation <laughs> to not feel like I wasted my time on both uh. that game and Final Fantasy Thirteen because it just poops all over anything you may have done, and it just sucks. That game sucks. It really sucks. <laughs> I was trying to head this off of the past, but no. <laughs> like, but, like, like sure. I like Path Traveler. It's a good game. Maybe a little long-winded, but it's a good game. That's fine. As long as as long as we don't have to deal with that. I forget what her name is, but like her like speech pattern that's way too overwrought. The, the hunter lady, I forget what her name is. <laughs> blanking me, it's very late. I forget, and, you, and I've had Final Fantasy thirteen two forced back into my brain. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, I would describe, uh, and like this, some sometimes a, a good enough sense of momentum and set pieces can paper over like weaker mechanics. That's okay for things to do. Uh, like, look at any, uh, I wouldn't describe these as games with weak mechanics, but they are simple uh, mechanics. Uh, any given, like, uh, of the, especially the boss rush style Contra games, like Hardcore, like, those are built around set pieces. Memorize the set pieces. Learn where everything is going to be to, in order to not be killed by it. Uh, but, you know, that's, that is the uh, fundamental design of those. Uh and I mean, you know, be, people still love them. Most MMO bosses are that way too, where you know the fights are basically a giant set piece, and you're. They'll have like their unique mechanic that you just need to be on the eye out, keeping an eye out for. All right, I mean, as oftentimes uh, in Final Fantasy fourteen, we call boss fights a dance. Yeah, you just you follow the steps. Yep, and you hope you don't screw up. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And like you know that that can work. It's it's absolutely possible for that to be interesting uh, enough to paper over like what might be on paper uh, fairly uh, standard or uninteresting mechanics. Uh, but you know, uh, those would be sort of in the RPG realm where I would point my finger. Is like these are very set piece driven. Uh, also, I'm surprised, but no one has tried to make a military shooter uh, 
where you're making your commanding officer or corrupt mediocre horny bunch like soldiers in real life. Bed Company 2 is over a decade old, hello. Uh, you might uh, go look into Spec Ops The Line as well, which is kind of the more dour version of that. But yeah, uh, Spec Ops The Line might be what you're looking for. Um, I, I'm, I'm vaguely insulted by this question. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, the, the broader point of because uh, not, not everyone in the military is that way. I not know, everyone. I was, I was in the military. But in any case, uh, the, the point I would make that... But uh, I also don't deny that there is accuracies the, in this question, too. It, yeah, like, like the issue you run into and the reason this isn't terribly common is the same reason that a lot of... Like, people who buy... Uh, who are buying like fiction about the military typically aren't uh, the audience purchasing critiques of the military. Like that's not, and that's essentially all you're getting out of. Like when you when you make that thematic decision, you make the decision that like uh, like when you decide that that's the part the parts and people in the military you're going to follow. That's the kind of uh, audience that you're courting. People who like on some level, you know, that is the military to them. And so you end up with, like, very few companies want to make that game. Uh, like, it's it's rare to see a company that, like, there, there's definitely a large portion of the audience that you will instantly alienate uh, by doing that. There is also yes. just... And I will say, a lot of people in the military are gamers. Yeah, there's, like, video games are one of those things that you'll like. <laughs> one of my favorite things that I'll always see uh, show up on the Wario64 Twitter uh, feed, which is just, like, a guy posting where you can, like, buy uh, games for cheaper or consoles for cheaper or whatever. The military exchange always is like, like, hey, this the military exchange has uh, PS5s and Series Xs and whatever if, you have, if you're an active military member. <laughs> like... There's always uh, it's always a market for it there. So yeah, another reason that people would not super be into that. And, and in general, like, uh, you know, what you 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 put yourself into a marketing double bind when you make this kind of thing because like, so you, so you're making a game that is military themed, but it's built as a critique of the military and the people in it. <laughs> you aren't gonna sell to the people in the military. They're gonna find it insulting you aren't going to sell it to people who like already hold those opinions very easily because they're not interested in the game already. You need to actually bridge the gap and tell them this is a game that will uh, interest you because it shares like aspects of your worldview. And so you, you run into this situation where it's like you have instantly made marketing an uphill battle for this. Uh, and in, in general, there's also just the fact that like, uh, it, it, there there are games that have tried this. Uh, the uh, the free radical Ubisoft shooter Haze for the PlayStation Three is kind of trying to do this. Uh, it it gets away with it by not being set in a modern. Like it was it was a sci-fi setting, so it was like, uh, or at least semi-sci-fi, like not completely sci-fi, but. You know futuristic setting so it did not it, it had a sense of distance from the uh, current military even though it was clearly making critiques but uh one that game sucked real bad and two uh it did, and this is the other danger you put yourself in 
its critiques just weren't very well formed. <laughs> like, even if you agree with uh, the notion behind uh, these ideas, uh, like even if you agree with like militaries full of just horny drunk assholes, you run into the issue of you need to have a substantive like idea of what that story is saying and Hayes which is one of the few that has attempted this didn't actually have anything to say like your character is uh, part of a military empire and everyone in the squad is an asshole who's drugged out of their mind uh, and then partway through you defect and uh, join the like revolutionaries that they're trying to put down and it doesn't have anything to say about that. Like, there's no interesting ideas about like, well, what does being in the mili- being in this revolutionary uh, faction? What does that do to them? Like, what kinds of damage did they have? Because war doesn't just leave you untouched just because you're a good person or fighting for a good cause. Like, you have all these things that it just patently has nothing to say about. Uh, and like, that's the other thing when you when you decide to sell your game on at least to some extent, a notion, an idea of, uh, like, that you have something to say, you damn well better have something to say. Because otherwise you have just uh, beaten your chest and shouted that you've got something to say and then said hello. <laughs> um, <So>. Meow. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah, the, the reason this doesn't happen is fear of alienating large portions of the audience uh like the general like corporate necessity to court a large audience and the fact that a lot of people just don't who would be interested in making this kind of game uh like you you need someone who's both interested in making this kind of game and has something to say and between those three thing those three factors you just you don't see this happen that often uh if if you're interested in this sort of thing uh, spec off the line is probably the closest you're going to get to what you're looking for, but that one's more like uh, Heart of Darkness, Horrors of War shit as well. So, uh, let's see. Um, let's see. On that same topic, what are some non-indie RPGs that depict uh, good guys or well-meaning people as inept and ridiculous? Uh, rare this is really rare um to some extent tales of vesperia did i don't know because vesperia takes like eight million hours and i have never finished it <laughs> yeah because remember you, you play as sort of the, you play as an anti-hero in that. oh yeah because like you're the you're the one that's like all of you people are sort of ineffective at what you're doing so i have mm-hmm. to be the one that has to go out and do the hard things <laughs> Like that's kind of Yuri Lowell's like function, as I recall. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, but uh, Wales is having a great time navigating this army, mm-hmm. this first dungeon tutorial. But uh, let's see, but yeah, Vesperia would be one. Like, it's it's rare for, like, you, you'll often get, 
like characters that are well that are portrayed as well-meaning but un unwilling or unable to see like larger problems but that's that's usually about as far as it goes because it, it's like like part of the issue is that uh a lot of these rpgs as a function of building forward momentum into their plot they don't want you just working with a completely ineffectual force so uh you know like if you're if your character is you know a is meant to be both the hero and well-meaning and such it's hard for them to propel a narrative while also doing nothing effectively <laughs> so it, it just puts you in kind of a weird narrative double bind uh, Okay, we'll do one more. And, uh, I'm going to need to go to bed, but... Uh, what are the chances of an ASCII game being made today and becoming widely popular? A.K.A. when the visual is so primitive... Uh, it's too prim primitive for streamers to make fun of the game. Uh, the answer is essentially minimal. I, I think that like ASCII displays are too off-putting and require, in general, too much uh, memorization of what each ASCII figure is so like one, one of the issues you run into with these ASCII games you play something that's like an old school rope like with ASCII displays you just sort of have to memorize what uh, each ASCII figure is uh, and thus what its capabilities are its design cannot alert you to anything about how it functions because it's just a figure and like that's the issue you run into with what what really is going to put people off these kinds of displays they can't actually inform you of what they're doing very like even if you put aside the fact that you know they look weird and you know looking weird can be useful but the issue is like what is an at sign well in this game it turns out it's a dragon so uh pay attention it can shoot fire at you how was i supposed to know that once it started shooting fire at you I, I, I don't think that, like, if the visual design is so cumbersome that you can't actually tell what something is at a glance, that's going to essentially immediately dissuade, like, 90% of your potential audience. <laughs> Any other opinions? No. Yeah, that sums that one up. <laughs> Oh, sorry to end so soon after you got here, Tam. But... No, no. I mean, I, I kind of expected it's... Uh, I was a little late getting out of work tonight because of the phone call, so... Ah, uh, that's rough. But tell us about where we can find you later if we want to hear more of that, Tam, or life. So, uh, most of the time, barring unforeseen circumstances with kids or pets, uh, you can catch me here... Uh, usually, most Tuesdays and Thursdays morning playing um, RPGs. Um, unfortunately, right now I've just been playing really off-the-wall random ones. Um, that's For me, that's a Tuesday. <laughs> well, in some cases, it's a Tuesday for me, too. <laughs> good, good. Um, and yes, I know the reference. 
Hmm. So, but, uh, and although not lately, uh, sometimes on Friday nights, uh, I'll, I'll, I've been helping a friend with Final Fantasy XIV on Friday nights lately. So, and since she's streaming, I don't stream on when she's streaming because it's mostly me standing around watching her in cutscenes, which would be boring. Hmm. So, but uh but yeah so definitely uh most tuesdays and thursday mornings and then um but i'm not the only one you can catch you can catch a whole variety of us on uh rp on twitch.tv slash rp gamer streaming there's hair frog who's currently suffering through the salt of vagrant story uh we have jc servant who uh five days a week has a different themes style for his streams and then uh we also have uh ryan scar uh, radcliffe who uh two nights a week does a snes rpg wheel and then on sunday he's actually doing uh children of morta co-op with uh one of our other staff members spare ombre nice nice <clears throat> so always a lot going on so definitely check us out um but what about you david what, what can we catch you at uh mostly just here but uh i'm still pecking away at trying to actually write essays but i want to finish some of those before i start plugging again so the mysterious patreon that i have called game culture study will be uh hopefully updating soon but oh lordy it's a life's a lot of work sometimes yeah uh, but yeah, if you want to read the old ones, they're still there. Um, you know, speaking of reading, you know. Yeah, we really should talk about a certain uh, certain missing Gaijin. Uh, he sure loves to. Well, he sure has a lot of writing that you could be reading right now, uh, if you like uh, people making bad decisions and or during role playing or outside it, but also learning, but also having a good time. Uh, tabletop RPGs, Princess of the Pizza Parlor, uh, has the has the same vibe as uh, how to describe it. Uh, the, the same vibe as uh, enjoying uh, hearing someone's uh, tabletop RPG stories that might not always be the best ones. Might might not have always involved them making the best choices, I should say. But yeah, uh, those are those are available uh, on Amazon. Via Kindle, Kindle Unlimited, or as paperbacks, I believe. I assume they're paperbacks. I've never ordered that kind of book from Amazon, so I do not know. We'll go with paperbacks. Uh, yeah, but paperbacks. yeah, yeah, I thought and, so. And um, give me just a moment, I will have his, the spelling of his name for people. Yeah, it's Michael Yarimizu, Y A R I M I Z U. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it turns out Googling Michael Baker is uh, impossible. Uh, and Wheels is being accused of sleeping again. Uh, what? What? Uh, you're... It's kind of hard to sleep with your arm up in the air like that. I'm just, I was just resting my eyes. Okay, no, that, that, was, that was Wheels' sister accusing him of being yeah. asleep. Oh, okay. Well, that's like a standard practice. Never mind. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, Wheels, tell us about where we can find you all the time. Uh, you can find me not sleeping on twitch.tv slash uh, askwheels. 
Although you very well, very well may may very well find him sleeping as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> usually streaming shooters or other nonsense. Uh, and on Sundays on the Every Gamer Channel, streaming shenanigans where we play random games and talk about random nonsense. Occasionally switch over to some fighting games. What we were. T- Often you'll get a preview for what we're going to talk about on yes. um, on Q&A Quest. But Wheels was too much of a coward to fight me in Street Fighter V last week. Uh, I just wanted the podcast audience to know that. Wow. Call me out. <laughs> I mean, I'm scared of fighting all of you guys in fighting games. So, you know. <sighs> That's fair. That's mostly because I suck. Yeah, but we all suck too. Um, but you guys suck less than me. Well, the only way to fix that is to fight. This is true. But, yeah, so uh, you can catch us on Shenanigans. That's usually uh, Sunday nights, uh, 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern. Uh, which is not that dissimilar to how you can catch us on Q&A Quest itself. Um, for, uh, which usually streams Wednesday nights. Uh, 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, until me or Wheels or both are falling asleep. Um, if you want to ask us questions, you can ask them in the uh, uh, Twitch chat, or you can ask them uh, via the podcast section of the uh, Discord. Uh, if you haven't joined the Discord, you can go get you can get an invite by going to rpgamer.com and clicking the community tab. That will give you an invite link to the Discord. Even if you don't want to ask us questions, it's a lovely community and you should definitely join. But yeah, uh, and you can also ask questions in the comments section under this very episode. Uh, don't try to ask us questions via the review section of your favorite podcast app because we don't check those very often. Uh, but otherwise, uh, yeah, we we love getting questions from any vector you can manage to reach us. Hell, sometimes people even just ask Wheels questions on Twitter. So, uh, if you must, you can also ask that way. But otherwise, uh, that I think wraps it for tonight. So, see ya, Space Cowboys. See ya. Bye.